RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Hump Day Val and Beans. Um, I was about to end the show, Frank. You were? <laughs> yes, I was about well, to say. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. T- <laughs> Which you can, by the way. You can. 2.30 Eastern Time on all of the platforms, all of the places. We have a lot to talk about today. I'm super excited about the show. You have no idea what those things are. What things? The things we're going to talk about. Oh, okay. Okay, go ahead. We haven't talked about any of them, so. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, so I want to start by thanking everybody who has donated to my little my little fundraiser for my legal fees. We had the motion the hearing on the motion to dismiss yesterday. I can't get into detail about it really because I don't want to say something wrong. So he took it under advisement and hopefully soon we'll have a decision on whether or not the case is dismissed or we have to go on to discovery and all of the depositions and nonsense that will come with it. If you don't know the story, I'll link it in the description box um, of the show notes or whatever so you can read it. Um, I am blessed beyond measure. Frank, we have some of the most kind, amazing people in our audience. We do. I, I can't. I cried my eyes out on Telegram about it the other night, so I'm not going to do it again. But thank you so much for everything. Um, second it, of all. It, it makes you really excited for the day that the uh, hopefully that we can all we'll all be alive to see the day that the war is over. Yeah, and we can celebrate. We can celebrate and we can su- support each other for things that are not defensive yeah. in uh, in nature. And we can just you know, create new things and in, enjoy, bask in the, the glory of our creations. Yeah, that's I mean, hope, great. that's coming soon, hopefully. I mean, hopefully. The hopefully. world is changing, that's for damn sure. Um, so guess what? guess what we're doing? This is going to be so great. I'm so excited about it. What? Miss Wendy from Uncover DC is traveling to California and she's going to travel alongside our truckers across the country for the week. And uh, uh, that's amazing. She's going to live stream the entire time. Like literally. I'm so excited. So when did this begin? The 23rd. So Wednesday of next week is the, the first day of said convoy across the States. And they're keeping everything very hush hush right now because they don't want to, you know, give away their plans or where they're going or where they're stopping. But I really hope that everybody in America comes out to support these folks and stands on overpasses and, you know, hold signs and whatever. Um, and Wendy will be there doing her thing for Uncover DC. It'll be on all of the social media platforms um, that you can imagine, all of them. And I am re-resurrecting my YouTube channel, Frank. To let her stream from it, because to, to be quite honest, I haven't used it in several months and I just don't care if they ban me. So, <laughs> well, that's that's something right there. I mean, I, uh, I the YouTube has become such a uh, an anomaly. I just use it because I still have it. Yeah. And I, I try to encourage everybody that, that goes there at nightly to please just any night could be our last to so just make sure that you are following me here and there or whatever. So yeah, do, do whatever the hell you can, especially if it's for something like this. I just wish that this thing would, would drive through New York so that I can catch a glimpse of it, but yeah. it seems like it's going to be a straight shot from California to DC. As of, as of what's published now, it looks like they're just going to travel right across. I personally think they should be doing a little bit more of like a, you know, tour, so to speak, but that's, I'm not planning this thing. So whatever. <laughs> 
October of 2020, what we saw on oh. two two different weekends yep. spontaneously in New York, in Westchester alone. What I was I was streaming right there in Playland parking lot where we're talking hundreds of cars and a couple thousand people yep. in, in a place that is supposedly so blue that you can't breathe. And, 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 and it, listen, it, it's, uh, it's true. It is, uh, it is very Democrat dominant over here, but to see that kind of, that kind of outpouring, I, I I'd love to see these little droplets of water just completely spread. spread. Yeah. And accumulate together. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, we 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 had what's his name, Sean, on uh, Mr. DeClapton Deplorable, talking about the car, the the listen, Long Island straight across. I mean, what they did out there is amazing too. Like that's he organized those, incredible. So the boat parades in Florida, the flotillas, and all the stuff. So hopefully, we'll see. You guys will have a front row seat every single day. Um, she's going to be out there doing her thing. I am so excited to see it. I I really am. So we'll see what happens. And we will see what happens, literally. So that's good. Indeed. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Spygate, Frank. Resurrecting the Spygate story. Because... Let's, I was actually doing a little bit of that last night. I covered the... Uh, I went back to just talk about the Trump Tower Oh, meeting. yeah. Yep. Um, and all the, the events, the, the chronology of events with the Trump Tower meeting. Because, of course, now that all this is coming out with, with Durham, uh, the mainstream corporate media they are recirculating all of their their um their stories from past years like the one that has been has been tossed around and posted on places like drudge as a flashback was this headline from nbc about how uh robert mueller had decided declined to prosecute yep. don jr over the thing I'm like what well, there was nothing to prosecute yeah the- and then we went over what was us the crazy thing about that is, too, Frank, is that they're they're saying now they're going to re-release the Mueller report with things that weren't released the first time. Please, you think that 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 re-releasing this with things that you didn't think were valuable enough when he was president to get an impeachment are going to give me a break? Like we were born yesterday. Come on, right. seriously. So, so Sussman and Jaffe, these are two names, and I have to tell you, as somebody who followed this intently. For most of my life, for four years, I'm shocked at how the spying happened. Stunned. I did not expect this. Did you? No, uh, because there's new. It's just like a whole new chapter, hidden chapter, as if the, the original wasn't bad enough. Yep. Yeah. So the way this happened and and a lot of things are kind of falling into place for me. And this is why when I ever did this stuff, it was always like, I think I speculate I this because You really, truly never know. This lawyer, Sussman, who did testify in front of the Hipsy back in the day, you remember when they released those 53 transcripts of all the hearings that they had held quietly, and then finally when Ratcliffe took over, they they released them? Mm -hmm. He had a a hearing. He he sat and testified in a hearing. And so I went back and reread that 73-page transcript. And everything's really starting to tie together for me, Frank. It's it's pretty insane. So he is a lawyer for the Perkins Coy and the Clinton campaign. And he was going back and forth to the FBI. And, and Durham has him on a 1001 charge, which even during the Mueller thing, that was what they got Papadopoulos on. That was what they got General Flynn on. You know, that was like their, 
their like flimsy little thing that they use to bring these people in for greater questioning. And it's like, if you're, are you really going to convict them on a 1001 charge? Like mm, that's not the most strong. However, what they do is they pull information. If there's information available to pull, which in this case there happens to be quite a bit of. So there was a contractor who had a, a contract with the federal government who was spying and we're not going to get into what he was doing exactly like with the DNS traffic and all that. Cause it's not important really on the office of the president, the transition and, and se- a healthcare company and several other entities on, you know, this is, this is the illegal act that was going on. And Jaffe, this guy ran this thing, but I want to talk about a little bit of a more interesting thing here. All of Sussman's testimony was about the DNC hack, Frank. Okay. Which is interesting. The best part about it, because this was the that foundational issue that nobody, nobody has been able to touch. That has we've gotten this annoying level of bipartisan, um, bipartisan. Uh, I don't know agreement. Not well, who it was the Russians. Where, it was the Russians. That's it. Period. Oh yeah. Well, can, can we see some some proof on that? No. 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 Well, the Russians. You know. Seth Rich, um, the Russians, the Russians, they knew immediately it was the Russians because the Russians are so hasty when they hack into political parties from one side of the aisle and release this stuff. But Sussman was talking the whole time about CrowdStrike and his former job at the DOJ and cybersecurity and blah, blah, blah. And one one aside that struck me very, very seriously when I was reading through this was that so first of all, Cash Patel was the one asking most of the questions, which just made me warm and fuzzy inside because I love him. And, you know, you've had, you've we've had him on the show. I, I would love to have him back. I think I'll text him and see if he can come back on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he he asks them about forensic images. Right. And, and Sussman is talking about how the FBI didn't ever come in and, you know, they wanted to come in and, and just image the computers and have an image so that they could look into what was going on and. Blah, 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 blah. And of course, this is the big thing. This major hack of a political party and the FBI doesn't get involved when it's a state actor. It's just all so weird. Um, Well, private clients don't have to let the FBI get bull crap. Okay. The point I'm making here is completely tangent. It's not even on the same spectrum as Spygate, but it's so important. So he goes into this long explanation of how solid forensic images are, Frank. Right. How they're exact copies of drives and down to the bit and you can't edit them and they're very solid and they're used for evidence all the time. And then I'm sitting there thinking about all of the BS when they imaged the Antrim County servers, when they imaged the servers in in Arizona and how images can be tampered with and images can be like all the nonsense they trotted out about the audits for the election of these of this hardware and how they spent like months going after, you know, how forensic images are really not the the, the end all be all of anything. <laughs> right. Right. It, it's just, it's just whatever, whatever it is, whatever the hell they need to achieve. Insane. They're going to stand there. It's insane. So yep. there's that. But my, my whole thing is focusing on Sussman and whatever could come out next from this special counsel, which I have no idea what that might be, Frank. I really don't. I don't know where he's going next. The whole spying thing matches up perfectly with the Trump Tower um, move to Bedminster during the transition when Admiral Mike Rogers went in and talked to President Trump and said, by the way, you're being spied on. And he picked up and was gone out of that office in less than a day. Right. Um, Just 
just, I, I, it reminds me of one other thing and we're, I don't want to get too much into the weeds. And quite frankly, I need to refresh on this because it's been a while and there's a lot of little minute details. And some of the people that have done this story exclusively, even after the election and everything else, there have been a team of folks who have just followed this doggedly, always constantly just obsessed with it. It was their thing for years. So they don't want to let it go. But I did an article back in 2019 and it was in depth and it was a lot of, you know, stringing things together. But there was an OIG report on on January 29th of 2019 that came out and it was a summary report. And I'm going to read it really quickly because I had originally thought and we talked to Devin Nunes about this when he was on our podcast. And he was like, no, 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 it's not Fusion GPS. And I was like, how could that be possible? Well, now it makes sense. It says finding of misconduct by two senior FBI officials and one retired FBI official while providing oversight on an FBI contact uh, contract. Sorry, this was this was released by the OIG Michael Horowitz on January 29th of 2019. The Department of Justice Office of the Inspector General initiated this investigation upon receipt of information from the FBI concerning multiple allegations involving an FBI contractor and three FBI officials. The OIG found that as a result of conduct by two current senior FBI officials and one retired FBI official, the FBI contractor, now it gets a little bit iffy here and weird and hard to understand, but the FBI contractor engaged in certain inherent governmental activities in contravention of the federal acquisition regulations. Additionally, the OIG found that these three FBI officials did not adhere to the OMB policy while managing the contractor. Further, the OIG found that the FBI contractor failed to adhere to personal conflict of interest interest rules under the FAR or the federal acquisition regulations. The OIG has completed its investigation and provided its report to the FBI for appropriate action. So I'm like, well, who's the FBI contractor? And I wove this entire thing together about abusing the um, the 702 database, right? Because that's what Admiral Rogers was talking about. These these unchecked queries of this very, very personal, you know, all encompassing data that were being done and, and how contractors could do it. And they were on the run amok, basically. But now I'm starting to think that the contractor was Jaffe's company okay, and not Fusion GPS. And that Horowitz knew this back in 2019 and the FBI sat on it under Christopher Wray. And now I start to wonder when is Merrick Garland going to shut down the special counsel or is what I think true, even though I've been surprised so far, if I don't see, honestly, a Comey, a Brennan, a Page, a Strzok, a McCabe, a Baker, or somebody held to, or Clinton held to some level of accountability on this. And they blame it all. Like their argument so far has been, well, the FBI didn't know. Yeah. Because no, they were I, lied I, to. Everybody, everybody that's been reporting on this from the New York Post, which has been moderately honest about stuff over the over the years. Um, they they all, I guess, safely because they don't want to they don't want to go um, trudging into dangerous waters. They all very safely say they asked all oh, we, we found this. There's this uh, link that has been uncovered by Durham that shows that Hillary Clinton was doing this and that and creating this and that, and that Sussman was delivering it to the FBI. But it all concludes that, I guess, for the uneducated reader, that the FBI, the CIA, everybody 
in government at that point from both parties were completely duped by Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Nobody knew. And the only reason the FBI didn't knew was because or didn't know is because Sussman lied to them. Like, but the thing is this, you know, these investigations, I've always said this and I'll continue to say it. Everybody wants immediate results. This this crap, if done right, it takes a lot of time. Uh, Technofog, I believe it was, had a little bit of a, uh, an explainer on how they could, you know, they're getting around the statute of limitations issues on certain crimes that have occurred and whatever. He he's optimistic about the outcome of this. Several people who I can't name, I wish I could, have told me that they're mostly, you know, they've been cynical, Frank, and they've been very, very intimately involved. And no, it's not General Flynn before everybody jumps to conclusions. And they've been intimately involved and they say that they actually think that Durham is going to do something here. Um, A couple of attorneys that I know that have been involved in this sort of case from the beginning have said the same thing. Also very cynical about stuff. And so I'm probably one of the holdouts in the sort of, you know, very deep research section of all this that doesn't I'm not I'm still not confident that the real accountability will happen. Will some people go down? Absolutely. Will we have, quote, vindication that he was actually spied on? Yeah, we are, we've had that for years, though. Um, you know, the, the press secretary standing in for Peppermint Commie, as our friends over at Citizen Free Press like to say, she, she refused to answer any of the questions yesterday about Hillary Clinton spying. As a matter of fact, Hillary Clinton, when cornered by the, the, the Guardian, I think it was, on the New York street, because she's going to be at the uh, New York DNC dinner or whatever this week, Refuse to answer any questions about it, too. Um, I don't know who's going down, who they're talking to, who's rolled on who, but it's absolutely worth following and we will do so. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's what I got on that. But remember, Sussman was very involved with the DNC, quote, hack. You'll, you'll never convince me that that was a hack in a million years. There's too much forensic data that proves otherwise, and his name. We should have we should have interviewed. I, I always wanted to interview Bill Binney, and uh, never been able to get a hold of him. You know that would have been great. Yeah, I know it would have, especially in the beginning, because what sucks is that, like with most of these things, people can't find an audience to talk to in in any significant way. Because they're, you know, this is this is foo-foo stuff nobody wants to talk about. And um, so he he ended up only going on like the more, quote, fringy platforms to talk. And of course, because of that, he was labeled a conspiracy theorist and all kinds of other stuff. But he was the one, Frank. He was the one who came up with the forensics for the data transfer speeds alongside several other anonymous uh, cyber experts. Um That was an interesting time. You know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and I said to myself, remember during this, we were so outraged by it all, like thinking this was the worst thing that could ever happen. I can't believe it. I wish we could go back there. Yeah. I I wish. I wish. I know. A couple of years does. It's amazing what kind of difference. I mean, that's the thing, too. I'm having a hard time with the Spygate story because it does have such broad significance. Nothing surprises me anymore. I know that our government has gone rogue. We don't have, you know, we don't have anything near even, like, I don't know what the system of government we're living under right now is, but it's certainly not a constitutional republic. Um, And it's so kind of minute in the grand scheme of what's going on in the world right now. I I know. 
I know. I said uh, when I was going over the Trump Tower meeting last night, just to just to show how how much of a railroad job every little detail of this of this one particular operation, because as you just said, it's it's nothing compared to what the the 30,000 foot view is. And I said, you know, uh, just taking this one little detail, this one little occurrence of the the Trump Tower meeting and what it was, how it was set up, the meetings with Glenn Simpson before and after, um, the the cozy relationship, the mutual uh, um, operations that were being done between Veselinskaya and Fusion yep. and what what they were with the Magnitsky Act and and how it was just about getting her in the building and that. If trying, if being open to receiving opposition research on a political opponent is really that unethical and that illegal, then what does that say about Hillary Clinton, who was so desperate for dirt that she paid $5 million to make it up? I, I know. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and employed the United States government to help her. Oh, okay, so what's the biggest, bigger scandal there? That being said, Tracy, we knew all of this. We knew – well, obviously right now with the Sussman thing, there are new things that we didn't know. But but we already knew enough to understand what was going on by Christmas of 2017. It's a half a decade later. You know, Shush. It's a half a decade later now. And and and, uh, and you, you want to talk about 30,000-foot views. Are we – is there ever going to be accountable accountability for things like Benghazi? The same people were involved then. It's like – they always the, the plan seems to be right now overwhelm everybody with with overt criminality so that you have to take your attention off of the old stuff because it looks like you're just holding on to the past. And then you just have to they, they just make you jump from lily pad to lily pad until it's 20 years later and everything around you has been destroyed and uh, and nobody knows what's real or what to even concentrate on anymore. And it's. I, I oh. wish I could disagree with you. I really do. It's such a it's such a travesty, in my opinion. Like, I, you know, <clears throat> I want to focus on this story as though it's the most important thing in the world, and I just have a hard time with it because of what other things are going on. It's not even that, Tracy. But like I said before, this one operation, the spying and the espionage and all that's the entrapment, all that stuff. It's just one little splinter of the overall operation that was run from like 2015 to about until the end of the, the Mueller probe and, and that last hearing that they had in in uh, like August of 2019 before they went headfirst into Ukraine and impeachment. I mean, to, to, to concentrate on the Sussman thing that's coming on right now is to I mean, th- there's so many things just in this one operation that you forget about. Has anybody heard from Joseph Mifsud ever again? I know, I know. Is he, he is he's probably been eaten by all the fish in the Mediterranean at this point. He's gone. I mean, there's so many things you can't even concentrate on this one thing in this one story because there's so many uh, moving, moving pieces that have to be accounted for. Yeah. You're right. I mean, Joseph Mifsud. Wow. And what about Stefan Halper? Poor Svetlana never has gotten justice. Never, never. And, and, but that's the whole point. As I said in the closing of, of talking about this one thing, it's been half a decade since we understood that this, you know, certain elements of these stories are what they are. And it's not so much that we have to go and, and pump ourselves up with this proverbial hopium that something's going to happen because we've seen enough to know that chances are we're not going to get what we want just because if Durham or anybody else 
pulls this string hard enough, they will unravel the entirety of life as we know it. The entire country comes down. The government comes down because this reveals so much more beyond this. So how much are they really going to do? And in that respect, you do what you can. And the most important thing that we we need to review these things for is just to make sure that we do not become victim to the memory holding, just so that we know we know what happened when they throw this 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 cotton candy propaganda nonsense at us over over the years to come. We can't forget what happened, even if it's just for our own sanity, because they're going to be gaslighting us for decades to come. So with all that being very eloquently said, I couldn't have said it any better. Honestly, it's true. I want to move to a couple different things. Um, let's move to, should we do, we'll do Canadian convoy now. Okay. So Trudeau has decided to declare, I guess, what would be considered martial law in the United in in Canada over these dangerous, violent party goers who are basically, you know, sitting in hot tubs and listening to music and dancing in the streets. Frank. Yeah. Um. So I have a couple clips today. Uh, it has caused a a quite a a hubbub in Canada, but it's not just that. It's the second clip that I want to play that is really an issue for me. And it's something that people are saying all over the internet right now. It's literally becoming weeks from conspiracy theory to reality instead of what used to be a year, two years, 10 years, five years, whatever. Um, Here's Trudeau talking about, I'm just going to move this real quick. Here's Trudeau talking about how he's a dictator, basically. If it plays. In these circumstances, it is now clear that responsible leadership requires us to do this. These measures must be and will be compliant with our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Indeed, the Emergencies Act was created in the late 80s to flow from and uphold the Charter. We'll always defend the rights of Canadians to peaceful assembly and to freedom of expression. But these blockades are illegal. And if you're still participating, the time to go home is now. Too bad they weren't uh, burning down, um, you know, uh, Target and, and looting Foot Locker because then it, w- it would have been called a uh, Woodstock. It would have been called a peaceful protest, Frank. Come on. Here is... Hmm. Here. In order, with immediate effect, under the Emergencies Act, authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that an account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. This order covers both personal and corporate accounts. Third, we are directing Canadian financial institutions to review their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades and report to the RCMP or CSIS. As of today, a bank or other financial service provider 
will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. In doing so, they will be protected against civil liability for actions taken in good faith. Federal government institutions will have a new broad authority to share relevant information with banks and other financial service providers to ensure that we can all work together to put a stop to the funding of these illegal blockades. Um. <laughs> and people, anybody want to understand, uh, need a little bit more of a lesson as to why they want to go to a cashless society? This is why. That, Frank, is, you know, they don't talk about when their accounts will be reinstated, do they? Nope. Just like they don't tell you when they're going to you're going to be taken off of no fly lists as well. Or when, you know, this is this is just, you know, uh, institution in good faith. Please remove the accounts and freeze the money of anybody you think may be involved with this and we'll protect you civilly. You have the authority without any court direction at all. Like who in their right minds is okay with that? Who? Who? Tell me. Oh, well, some people out there, some people have been have been brought up to think that things like this is really great. But um, but I I don't know. I would I really wish that I would see a lot more coming from people like uh, from police. We hear a lot of stories about police saying, I agree with you. I agree with you, but I can't I can't do anything or else I'm going to is the hammer's going to come down on me. It's um, crazy because the chief of Ottawa police resigned. Yeah, is that this. is that because of pro is that because of support or because of other kind of pressure? We don't know. Okay. We don't know. But um I can tell you, like that that right there, that right there, I think is more dangerous than anything else at all that they could possibly do. What they just said. That is that is, you know, if it, it, in, in today's society, if you can't bank there, there's got to be some debanking. Yeah. I mean, when's the social credit score coming? You know, that big conspiracy theory we've been talking about, the social credit score, the thing that doesn't exist. You're what you should what, what you need to read is the follow up to the Great Reset that was published in January by uh, Klaus Schwab. It's called The Great Narrative. If you want you want to know uh, why another just another reminder as to why DHS has come out and, and coined a new term to go along with mis and disinformation. Now mal we have malinformation. Mal, yeah. Malinformation. It's uh, it, it's about it's about preserving the narrative, and uh, and inside of the great narrative, they they go into um, exactly why why we have to do what we have to do to the world and how social credit scores are going to be is is going to be a basis for everything, especially a basis for for where you're going to live and how many children you're going to be allowed to have. It's everything. What the you're, hell? So, what the hell is happening, Frank? It's this is this is serious end time stuff. It's serious stuff for sure. God, I have Ajita just thinking about it. I know. I mean, I was I was barely I was barely socially conscious back in 1997. I was only like seventh or eighth grade or whatever. But to think that the greatest thing that we had to worry about as a, as a people back then was Bill Clinton's Oval Office habits. Mm. You know, I, I, that was a that was a 
a living room debate topic for households all over the country for sure. But man, we're we we're not now we're facing unmasked anti-human satanic uh, creeps who are murderous in every way, shape, or form. And of course, they were working to this end back in 1997 as well. This is a very very long long process that was that was uh, committed to intergenerationally. But still, man, I, it, it's it's crazy that we're we're actually living in this science fiction horror show. Um, it's like almost like Event Horizon. You know who does um, really good work on all of that is Michelle for Uncover DC. She's written several pieces about it. Mm. She tackles that like transhumanism and stuff. That's like her, that's her thing. Make sure she reads the great narrative. I think published. she, ha- I think we have a column on it to be honest. Oh, good. Yeah. If we do, which I, I I'm catching up to be, <laughs> I'm still catching up. Sometimes things go up and I don't get to read them for a day or two. So she, she will be on top of that if she isn't already, because she just, that's her thing. She's right on that. Terrible. It's, it's unnatural. Um, you know, the crazy thing, General Flynn uh, released a new book and I got a copy of it yesterday and it's really short and a really easy read and it's very basic and to the point. And <clears throat> what it really focuses on and around, it's the six steps to save America, basically, and bring us back to where we need to be and, you know, do the right thing and this and this and that. And one of the things that he speaks about in there is 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 inherent is life. Life is the beginning of everything, right? And and the topic is so simple, yet we've lost our sight of it. So he, he ties everything back to uh, Roe versus Wade. And it's really a masterpiece, honestly, for such a short book. It's like a little over 100 pages. I read it in like an hour, an hour and 10 minutes or so, maybe a little less. Maybe it's 150 pages, but it's short. It's, it's an easy read. And we have come so far as a society, culturally, um, from all of what is good and right and wholesome in the world that it's almost, and then he ta- he obviously talks about faith and God and, and, you know, all of that and how important that, that is to, uh, a moral and, and free society and how that's been bastardized as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's their simple, simple concepts, but people have been so weak and they've succumbed to such temptations over, over time that it's, it's, it's just, it's terrible to see. Like I said to Wendy, I was on the phone with her the other day and I said, imagine, think about this honestly for a second. Like imagine how prosperous we would be if we just did the right thing like the constitution told us or guided us to. How prosperous would we be as a society? Well, I think it goes back to what you were just saying about how you can, you can really trace a lot back to Roe v. Wade. Um, the Constitution, it's uh, you know, it's 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 guidance. It's guidance for sure. Maybe it's a reminder. But the real thing of whether or not you're going to live in a prosperous moral society is whether or not people people have have an understanding of what good and bad is, how they're being educated, what their home well, life is. We talked about that too. All of that. All of it's, it. That's it. I mean, the, uh, I, it was John Adams who said that. Uh, John Adams said. That our constitution was written for a religious and moral people, and it's wholly inadequate to a society of anything else. Yeah. If, if, if you do not have the moral uh, fortitude to be able to put to use and and put to action the kind of real um, 
libertarian document, docu- uh, codified piece of paper that this is, then it's 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 nothing. It's, it, 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 and apply that to anything. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. No, agreed. It, it, and I, again, I really want it's called um, I believe it's called Letters from America. And in it, he goes through like some of the letters he's received over his time going through the, the stuff he's gone through and whatever. And he um, he he puts some of them in there and, and it's just he's he's responded personally responded with a handwritten note, Frank, to 50,000 people that he wrote back to 50,000, 50,000 people. Yep. Sounds like sounds like me. I've, I've probably written back to close to that at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just think about that. I, I'm and, and, you know, honestly, I have had the honor and the privilege of getting to know General Flynn, not just through covering his case, but through the fact that I sit on the board of his not for profit. I've gotten to know their family. I've been I've been there is there is no I don't care what anybody says. There's a whole bunch of BS going on out there on the Internet about General Flynn right now. And I this is a there are very few people on earth that have a shred of integrity left, Frank. You and I talk about this a lot offline. He is one of those people. An amazing person, amazing family, such a strong leader. I love that man. I don't care what anybody says about him. I don't care. He's amazing. I know him. You know, it takes a lot to talk about somebody when you don't really know them, right? Right. But I the book was genius. It was genius, simple, straightforward covered all that stuff you said. And I think that everybody should read it. Honestly, everyone should read it. So there's that. Um, what else do I have on the, on the docket today? I have some things. Um, oh, so there's, there's a lot going on right now in the, uh, vaccine world. So a lot of people are talking about all this weird stuff that has gone on. Like Moderna's CEO has stepped down and sold all his stock or sold a lot of stock anyway. Um, other people are dumping it. Um, Pfizer revised down their earnings and said, you know, it had to do with uh, increased, you know, side, you know, reports of increased side effects from the vaccine or something to that effect. Don't quote me on the language exactly. Um, and everybody keeps on saying that they the wrong reason for for this. This is, in my opinion, the reason for all this happening. It it's not that. Um, it's not anything other than the fact that the FOIA releases are incoming. The safety data FOIA releases are incoming. Mm-hmm. And that starts on March 1st, the same day as the State of the Union address, Frank. And we get to see all of the safety data that the FDA used to approve these vaccines for people. And I'm going to tell you if what I'm looking at right now is any, what's already been released is any indication. I, I don't even I don't even understand how this progressed past the trial. It's terrible. It's terrible. And now, you know, you're seeing more and more people speak out about what's going on with them. Um, You're going to have the fourth quarter earnings report for the funeral homes coming out. um, Some of them in March, some of them in in next week. Um, You know, they're they're up across the board and revenue everywhere. Um, ridiculously so. It's not a small increase. And they're saying, oh, it's because the baby boomers are dying. No, Mm -mm. no, no. And again, 
it's going to become time really soon to pay the piper. Somebody is going to have to compensate or somebody's going to want compensation from one of these industries that is being negatively impacted by this, whether it's life insurance, disability insurance, insurance companies in general who are now all paying for all of these ridiculous, um, you know, tests and, and lifetime care for people who are disabled. And do you see the normalization campaigns that are going on? Uh, for what? Heart attack. Oh, 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 oh heart attack. Yeah, yeah, heart attack and stroke. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, darn. There's blood something clots. recent. Blood clots. Oh, man. Oh, well, I mean, there's a, there's a whole night. Uh, there's a whole night that has to be done on on what they're building up with the AIDS thing that we were oh. talking about with, with Celia. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you know, a lot of people received that really well. And then there are other people who, who were like, I don't know if I believe it. Um, Take five minutes, Frank. Explain what you learned through your friend who you talked about with Celia at the end of the show. Well, I mean, it's like I said, there's there's so much in that one thing that he published. And I was able to speak to him a few times. But even back in the day, I had him explain it to me on my show like early on. Like I, I'm talking like in 2010, 2011. And. Even back then, I had some trepidation and a little bit of hesitancy. Like, no, no, this can't, this can't be. I, I mean, I, I know people in my own life who have died from AIDS, and and then I start. It, it, but then time goes on, and we live through what we live through right now. And I always had have an open mind, especially especially for people who are clearly intelligent and do their work, because maybe there's something that has been missed, or maybe there's something that's been covered up. I mean, the one thing that we can always talk about that is a constant throughout history is that there are people, there are groups that are always conspiring to try to take control of society and and, and scare the shit out of people to give up their their uh, their rights to live free uh, lives that are that's unencumbered by any kind of coercion to do things that they don't want to do and 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 whatever or to purify society in some way. I mean, there's always people going after these crazy big, uh, goals of theirs. And now that we're living through what we're living through the last couple of years, it just has forced me to double back and look at this with new eyes and to see that everything from everything, from the ability to have a very foggy origin story, you have a very foggy origin story. where did this thing come from? How, who's it affecting most? Um, you know, what is being built up around it? The confusion to the point where after a while, nobody even cares to talk about origin stories anymore. We just start talking about the response and this and that and, and the treatment. Then you start talking about the testing and the testing, the PCR tests, all this stuff. When I learned from Liam that they had to dilute the blood samples that they were testing uh, for for AIDS, I think something like 40 to 400 times. AIDS or HIV? uh, HIV. Okay. They had to, because he called the HIV the scarlet letter pretty much um, because that's where they started. They told everybody, oh, you have HIV, therefore anything could be done to you, like what they were doing to children through the NIH there in, uh, in places like Washington Heights. And the dilution rate, of how they would have to, um, uh, how they would have to dilute the samples of the blood that they were testing had to be done because if they did not dilute it, then literally everybody would be HIV positive. And he was talking to HIV doctors 
uh, constantly who who would say, yeah, much of their chagrin, this is the way it is, and we don't like the testing. We don't really know what it's telling us. And so now you have this crazy testing practice that is creating a pan, an, an epidemic out of, out of nowhere, which is what we're doing, living through right now. So you have origin stories, you have crazy testing, and then you have the treatment that is worse than the disease. We have p- treatment protocols and drugs that are, that are responsible probably for hundreds of thousands of, of deaths that have been counted into the total. And, um, and then everything else is just other uh, – other kinds of uh, accounting chicanery from from bringing in pneumonia and flu and all that other stuff and just combining it into one category. So you have this AZT and and and, and uh, Celia was talking about the other one that was really harming the hell out of people. And um, now the other thing that Liam goes into the other thing that Liam goes into uh, in his book. Is to first, and he's a he's a sexual libertarian. He has no qualms against people who are gay, straight, whatever, nothing. But he wanted to also give a backdrop as to what was going on in the gay community in San Francisco, bathhouses and things like that, and the party, the 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 kind of party mentality that was happening in this um, in this time frame, the kind of drugs that were being taken, the antibiotics that were being. Um, that were being uh, abused. So pretty much how you're completely destroying just from this this hard and fast lifestyle in this in the gay community was was you had gut flora being destroyed and you know your immune system is 70% in your gut. Mm-hmm. So between all of the recreational drugs, the poppers, anything that that makes uh you know uh you know that lifestyle a little bit uh, easier when you're talking about partying there was a lot of different types of, of immune problems that were happening at the time that were that were seized upon. We are also a very sick society. We are very overweight. We are addicted to drugs, pharmaceuticals, and otherwise. We have so many things going on here. So I just started to think of all this stuff that is that is piling on top of each other. And I said, why the it's more plausible than ever before. Yeah. And and as we talk about with 9-11 or anything else. To question or to re-examine any part of what we've lived through in the last hundred years is not to dishonor the dead. The dead are still dead. Uh, I mean, it's not to say that they did not die from something from from in the middle of therapy or from other some kind of wasting condition. But perhaps it has been completely misdiagnosed. Perhaps it has been just just harnessed and 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 saddled up on to to be used in one way or another perhaps just just perhaps it's it's not wrong to say perhaps well we're we're living through something that is so sloppy especially because one thing that we didn't have back in the 80s is an ability for people to talk yeah internet the the kind of thing the kind of work that people like celia and liam chef had to do even in the early 90s was going out it was there was no open source citizen journalist back then you had to hit the road you had to interview doctors you had to interview patients you had to get in front of people and you had to actually put a story together and there was a lot more journalistic hoops that had to be jumped through to make sure that this was something that you could present to the public then you had to find somebody to actually deliver the story to the public right like like celia was saying she got the interview with carrie mullis because he said if you can get here in the snowstorm then you can have an interview like she had to literally get in her car and drive some, you know what I mean? It's not like that anymore. It's, it's pretty crazy, the difference. Um, I, I, 
And we talked about that a couple times. But I, I the 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 entire thing is is it's controversial in quotes. I don't feel like it is anymore because I've been looking into it for a while now. Um, but I would implore anyone out there who kind of scratched their head and said, I don't know if I believe this, to just go to the links in the show notes and spend the time familiarizing yourself with the material, the studies, the the information, the testimonies from doctors, the journalistic pieces that were written back then in a day where it was much harder to get something published if it were if it needed to be impeccable. Otherwise, you know, th- it was much different back then. Now and if it was impeccable, it's really what are you trying to what are you trying to tell to the public and what cannot be considered? I mean, a lot of this work was impeccably done. But um, if there's only a few different places that you can get your story published to a larger audience and those people are all walking side by side with those who are, you know, controlling the narrative, then you're not going to have access to a larger unless you start, I don't know, self printing and handing them out as like a a pamphleteer in in Central Park. Nobody's going to see it today. You can start a blog and with a little bit of uh, of uh, of ingenuity, you can build yourself an audience. Yeah, I so, mean, just look at Substack. It's it's true. Um, I wanted to hold on one second. So I wanted to go back around to the normalization of stuff um, and talk about a, a very good friend of mine who has suffered through some of the things they're trying to normalize right now. And one of the things that I shared yesterday was a statement by the German state media that said. Cerebral thrombosis and myocarditis are minor issues. Okay. The statement says vaccine complications are then somewhat more serious. These can include heart muscle inflammation or cerebral venous thrombosis. However, if these are recognized quickly, they're really easily treatable and heal relatively quickly. Okay. If, if If you get a blood clot in your brain... I can assure you from experience, not that I've had one, but I, I, I have somebody very close to me that has, it is not easily healed and a quick fix, okay? The lifetime of, of issue that comes after something like that and the fact that people are now trying to normalize it as though it's something that happens every day and it's no big deal is sick to me. It's sick. Like, I have somebody that's a friend of mine who's disabled permanently because of this. And I, it just, it, it annoys me to no end because I see the struggle and, and nobody wants to go through that. And if you are God forbid in the situation where you have to, you will quickly recognize that it is not some small thing to have a clot in your brain. Okay. No, not, not at all. It just, it, it's, the fact that they're even doing this, like, oh, if it's too cold out, you could have a heart attack. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Does anybody else see through this? Did normal people see through this? That's my question. What do you think? I I, I, th- I think a lot of people are. I know that there's there's plenty of – okay, I, I had a conversation oh, just yesterday too. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who works for a uh, power company around here, and he has – refused the vaccine. He's only like one of a handful of people in the New York area and at this company that refused the vaccine long enough to be able to escape the mandate. Yeah. They just held out. They held out. And then finally, boom, he says, I, I, I was willing to do. He says, listen, I, I, he said, Frank, I was talking to him yesterday. He said, I, I don't take I don't even gamble. I, I, I have never played a scratch off in my life. 
I don't get, I, I have no interest in gambling. Why the hell would I gamble with my life? Because he says, he says, I'm telling you, there's things that are happening around me. And I'm, I don't really look into this too, too deeply, but a lot of people around me are starting to. There is a 33, he said, he said, there's a guy na- uh, that I work with. He's a newlywed 33 year old man, got his shot, didn't want to do it, was just diagnosed with te- testicular cancer the other day. Wow. He says, he says, I know that this could happen for one way or another, but there's something inside of me that says that there's it's just wrong. He said, my, he said, my father never complained about anything in his life, neck, back, whatever. All of a sudden, he's having uh, pinched nerve problems out of nowhere, where his his leg, his uh, his foot is going numb. He said uh, he said that this other guy that he works with on the job, after he got his first or his second shot, he pissed blood for a week. So I mean, so regardless of what it is, whether it's deep vein thrombosis or you know, in the, people are getting messed up, and the worst part about it is I know that we have collected throughout the throughout the world millions of incidents of casualties, just injuries and or deaths associated with this. That those are we understand VAERS is a very limited system as far as scope goes, but those are you're you're also talking about you're talking about people who probably go and seek out help from their doctors to say, Hey, listen, uh, this is happening to me, this is happening to me, and the doctors will not even consider. They will not allow no. themselves to consider that yeah. it may be related. So I I don't I don't see how anybody can go on much longer thinking that the the more that these shots increase and the boosters increase and everything in their life, the problems in their life that they never had ever before get worse and worse, how they can continue to see these these billboards about how it's normal for children to have strokes, strokes. and heart attacks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that thing that that really like oh childhood stroke is a is an issue that many people face. No, it's not. A nurse on uh, Twitter said something like, "We just we just opened up a pediatric uh, stroke unit. We've never had one before because they have so many pediatric strokes happening that they need a department now for them." Um, the next the next thing is is vaccine hesitancy has really really struck new vaccinations have hit an all time low. Um, 28% only 20. It's a CNN health issue, uh, report, but I just want to read it. COVID-19 booster shot uptake is at an all time low in the U S the pace of people getting COVID-19 booster shots in the U S has dropped to the lowest it has ever been. And many public health health experts are concerned as of Monday, about 64% of the U S population is fully vaccinated against COVID-19 with at least their, Two initial initial two dose series and 28% have received a booster shot. But the pace of booster doses going into arms is the lowest it has been in months. Now, who ever talked about this before like this? When you were going to get a vaccine, get the shot in your arm, get a shot in your arm. Who says that? It's just weird. Uh, People who received the J&J vaccine as their first dose seem less likely to get their booster than other vaccinated groups. Among those eligible for a booster, less than one third who initially received the J&J shot have been boosted compared with about half of those who completed their initial two dose series of Moderna at 52% or Pfizer at 47%. And Project Veritas came out with a with an undercover thing from a supposedly an FDA official yesterday. Did you see that? Yeah. And he he he's pro vaccine, but he's saying even he's saying like, "Oh, 
you know, um, we're going to need a shot every year. They pay us to staff people to approve their products and we take the money. And then the only way that they're going to continue to make any money, if it's a yearly thing like the flu vaccine is. So they want to do this to people every freaking year. And then he said schools are going to mandate it. I beg to differ. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they can at this point. There are there are too many people who are having problems and, you know, doctors can explain it away all they want and not attribute it to the vaccine, which they most of the time don't. But the insurance industry is going to start saying something about this. I'm telling you. There is, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the, people are going to become it's they, they this is what I'm saying. They, they don't understand and they never really plan that far ahead. They they try to make things that are very simple, very complex. And it, it's in that effort that everything falls apart for them because they start they start forgetting little variables like what insurance is going to do. Insurance is a bet. It yep. is a mutual wager yep. that is, is placed between an insurance provider and those who are seeking insurance. Everybody who goes and signs up for insurance is betting that they are going to get sick. The insurance company is taking a wager that you are not going to get sick. And then and, – And then <laughs> that's, that's why government health care is so stupid well, because it makes it – it just – it's just welfare. That's that what point. I was going to say that their their Obamacare nightmare is going to come back to bite them in the ass so hard because it is basically mandatory and the government subsidizes health care for every single person in the country who wants it. Anyone. And yep. where's that buck going to fall? And when? Yeah. You think about the insurance payout and think, think about this, Tracy. Think about the difference in what an insurance company has to pay out, if you go to a pharmacy and have to pick up a, uh, a, a, a box of Tamiflu, now think about what an insurance company has to pay out if suddenly you are going to a cardiologist every week. Yeah, okay? the tests, the stress tests, the, the medicine that you're going to be on forever. If you have a neurological issue that they just can't find, how many yeah. doctor's appointments is that? And then you're hearing people say, like, who have these issues terribly – I can't get an appointment for three months, four months, five months, six months sometimes because these doctors are so overwhelmed and forget it. Forget that. Let's talk about the cancer. Okay. The absolute explosion in cancer and the treatments those folks are going through and how expensive they are. It's something else. I'm telling you, it's going to come crashing down. It's going to, it's going to happen suddenly in my opinion. This isn't going to be a gradual thing. It's going to happen suddenly. And the more people start freaking putting these shots in their arms. Anyway, this was this was a good one today. Yeah, well, that's where we're at. Let's end the show now like we were going to do in the beginning. You've been listening to the Dark Delight podcast with Hump Day Val and... Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. We will be back on Friday. Later.
The Benjamin Franklin quote, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, is as true today as it was in 1736 when he first said it, especially if you're an athlete. On this week's episode of Crush Performance, we'll look at how getting regular checkups can help you not just avoid injuries, but play and perform at your very best. We'll also look at the latest doping scandal that is casting a shadow over the Beijing Olympics and what it means for sport. And we'll have a look at the Super Bowl and Odell Beckham's non-contact knee injury and how it's spurring on a heated conversation as to whether we should be using turf or real grass in sport. Crush Performance with Jeff Cruschel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.